Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard On guard, it's episode number 44 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, the world's most regal and heroic Eric Roberts-related podcast. I'm Doug Tilly, and joining me this evening is my knight of the round table, Mr. Liam O'Donnell. How are things, Liam? Woo! Great! All right. I love that enthusiasm, Liam. You know, we are recording on a Friday night, and I know that there's no place that you'd rather be than talking to me about Eric Roberts. I can't think of anything more interesting, engaging, or insightful. Now, you do have a newborn child. I do. Now, how is your newborn child doing over these past how long has this child been uh living on this earth maybe you know again i don't want to get into anything but you know (laughs) living a little over a month a little over a month plus nine months don't you mean well sure 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 but she's doing well i like to hear that she's doing well yeah yeah i uh, you know it's it's a process where you are learning how she is in the world and what she sort of wants and then it changes immediately like as soon as you get like Oh, she enjoys this, or this will keep her from freaking out. Then that doesn't work anymore. So, do you jingle your keys? Is that what you're supposed to do? Oh, I, I mostly just start small fires, and then that fire it both warms her and fascinates her. So, it sounds to me like you're mocking my uh, questions to you when I'm trying to be very serious. <laughs> now, it, can I ask you a personal question, Liam? Yeah, sure. Formula or no? No, no, not at all. We're oh, we're wow. all. We're all re- re- we're all realized boob milk over here. We're doing doing right. it booby style. And now, when you say we, you mean your wife and yourself? I mean, my wife that I'm there to support. I guess I don't really yes. play a strong role in that relationship. But you know, I, I'm at least on diaper duty and uh, you know, chilling the baby out somewhat. Duty postpartum wise, how is your wife holding up? <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, she's great. I mean, everything's it, it, it's helpful that the maternity leave is so long and um, we get time to like spend with the baby and stuff. I mean, I think it's it hard is. for me because I'm at work and I would rather be home. Of course. With them. Does your wife and I, I'm just going to ask you this straight up, Liam, and you can tell me to remove this later if you'd like. Does she ever resent the fact that you podcast and that it takes up certain and precious pieces of your time, especially now that you're back to work? She's too. She's way too nice for that. If if our situations were reversed, I would be upstairs right now, like seething and in, in furious anger. Right. But she's a saint, and so she's very supportive. I mean, she's oh. very supportive of of podcasts in general. I mean, of my podcast, this is of course the least important one. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of she's somewhat less supportive because this is like kind of the fake, kind of bullshit one. You know. Is it possible that we could have her on as a guest? I mean, that would mean she'd have to sit through an Eric Roberts movie, but yeah, we could have her on anytime you want. Well, she sat through them before, I believe, with you at, at some point. Uh, just one or two. I mean, her patience for that ran All right, out pretty Shut quick. up, Liam. This is getting very <laughs> tiresome to talk about. Yeah. Uh, our guest today is a feminist, writer, filmmaker, and cultural commentator. You can find her on Twitter at Candace Shaw. It's Candace Shaw. How are you doing today, Candace? Hey, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing very well. And one of the reasons I'm doing well, Candace, is because you're on the show and you're someone that I've been friendly with for many years. And it's been uh, 
rare that we've had a chance to have a conversation. And what better topic to have a conversation about than Eric Roberts? Absolutely. It's like the culmination of our, our long sort of knowing of each other. Yes. Finally, finally, we get this, this consummation. This, this is the confirmation of a relationship that Indeed. has been years in the making. Uh, and why not broadcast it to the world? That's what I always say. <laughs> Does your wife listen to this podcast? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> she, she reviles the very idea of it. Um, <laughs> Candice... You live in Toronto, Ontario at the moment. I do indeed, in beautiful Cabbage Town, in fact. Cabbage Town, which I've spent some time in and I like it very, very much. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's a really beautiful neighborhood. You know, all the trees, heritage, lots of uh, old, slow-moving people. It's great. What do you do in Toronto? Oh, I um, I run events and I book music, uh, which sounds really glamorous, but really I just answer email for a living like everybody else. Now, what do you think that the global perspective on Canadian music is? I mean, I think most people, if they, uh, they're not wildly aware of a Canadian music scene, but almost everyone on earth knows Canadian music. They just don't know it. Like everyone knows, you know, your Nickelback, your Shania Twain, your Celine Dion or Celine Dion, which I saw her spelled the other day. And I was like, oh, tell me more about this Celine Dion. (laughs) She's saltier. Ooh, how exciting. Um, But yeah, no, it's it's actually Celine Dion just with swear words. no, no. Uh, but yeah, no, I think a lot of people do know uh, Canadian artists, but they don't know that they know Canadian artists. So it's always an interesting thing when you say you work in Canadian music, because even Canadians are not necessarily aware of Canadian artists. <laughs> Over to you for a second, Liam. Liam, when you hear Canadian music, what do you think? Uh, fucked up, career suicide, not dead yet fast, chokehold. Mm-hmm. That might now, be it. That's because you're a punk, right? Sure, if that's what you want to say. <laughs> you're, you're a punky guy, so that's the kind of music. But certainly, when you think of the biggest or most popular or maybe most well-known Canadian musicians, who do you think of? Rush. Oh, there you yeah. Go. Yep. Yeah, that's probably yep. up there. I mean, that's, I mean I, not that I didn't know some of the other things, but I think, <clears throat> I, I mean, I guess I think Rush, and then I vaguely sometimes think Drake, but then I feel like the whole Drake thing is weird. That whole thing is weird. Uh, Candace, what's your Eric Roberts history? Ah, well, you know, I I think he's one of those guys who's always been on the periphery of my awareness. So until really you started this podcast, I I don't think I had given him a ton of thought beyond, oh, that guy, that guy's usually not too bad in things, you know? Uh, and it's certainly like more recently, I've definitely seen him. I watch Suits. Right. Uh, um, Filmed in Toronto? Filmed in Toronto, filmed sometimes at my work and sometimes uh, next door to my home. So I I feel like I should keep up with the doings of, is it Mike and, I don't remember the other, oh, is it Harvey? Mike and Boy, Harvey. are you asking the wrong person. Yeah, no kidding. Not that it's a good show. I just really like uh, procedurals about professional people sure. that are wildly unrealistic. So I really enjoy, um, and I really, I honestly do really like the, the tailoring on the show. The men's suits are beautifully tailored. <laughs> It's just really nice to see. I if mean, your show is called Suits, you better have well-tailored suits. That's um, all I'm saying. Exactly. Yes. And they do. And thank goodness for that. And and there are some strong women characters. Uh, the woman who is, uh, oh, my God. I am the worst with names mm-hmm. of even people I know quite well sure. um, sometimes. So I'm not going to be good with that. But anyway, there's some strong female characters. Uh, there's some beautiful suits on the men. The guys are not bad actors. It's overall an okay show, but Eric Roberts has been on that a bunch, so that probably would be the the most I've interacted with him. Would be now, 
by his Suits episodes. Now, of course, Liam and I will eventually be watching all of Eric Roberts' episodes of Suits. Why is that, Liam? We took a really stupid blood oath. We took a blood (laughs) oath that we were going to watch all media involving Eric Roberts, including every episode of the television show Suits, which, by the way, I'm not necessarily... um, It's not that I'm not looking forward to it. I I figure that that show can't be that difficult to watch, certainly compared to some other TV projects we've watched with Eric Roberts, including, perhaps, one of the things that we're going to be discussing today. But we'll get to that in just a moment. First, we need to do the Roberts Report. It's the Roberts Report for Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, episode number 44. And as per usual, we're going to start with some Twitter activity from one Mr. Eric Roberts on Twitter at Eric Roberts, all one word. Very good. Actually, before we get to that, I do want to briefly mention, uh, on the last episode of the podcast, we mentioned the uh, television series based on the movie Training Day, which is currently airing. Uh, And there was some discussion that Eric Roberts had about um, his concern regarding some of the negative stereotypes, I guess, that that show was playing with, and the fact that Bill Paxton's character was in it. And of course, we found out recently that Bill Paxton had, sadly, passed away. I did want to mention that briefly because I have a lot of affection for Bill Paxton and a lot of the roles that he played. So before we get into some of Eric Roberts' tweets, I wanted to start over with you, Liam. What's uh, what's your most... most favorite my god what is happening to my brain what's your most memorable bill paxton role i i think i'd have to say uh near dark um which is i say that with some hesitation not because it's not an amazing role but because i think bill paxton has so many roles that are worth mentioning but uh it was the first one that i noticed him in if that makes sense and of course you know what i mean like that he stood out that i said who's that guy that i paid attention um, yeah, it, it hurts to say because there's others that I also love, but that's probably the, the one that stood out to me uh, more than any other one. Absolutely. Candace, how about yourself? I'd say, uh, is it Big Love? Is that the TV show? Yes, absolutely. Yes. It's, he was so good in that. I mean, it, I'm predisposed to, to dislike it because I, I have, well, I have, I mean, I am fascinated by Mormonism mm-hmm. and, and no, no shade to them, but man, like, You've got an invisible golden book and a secret decoder ring. It's basically the best religion ever. Um, but I, I'm predisposed not to feel excited about a film that or a TV show that's that's about a man with multiple wives because it right. just doesn't seem like it's going to be super compelling. But uh, he really pulled off making that character likable and even lovable, even when he was being basically a complete douchebag, which he sometimes was. Um, and even when he was pursuing new wives, I was like, this. Sh- I, I feel weird because I feel like I f- should feel unsettled but instead i find this charming so he was very good at finding ways to portray a character that in many respects should be kind of creepy um and making him a likable or relatable person but i also really liked twister obviously everybody liked twister (laughs) i mean it's a there's a cow in a tornado that's the best it's and i think helen hunt she's in it as well yes um it was a great it's a great Actiony movie that seems completely un- unreal and just a lot of fun. And he was great in that. How much fun is that? 
Absolutely. And of course, a mark of a great actor is their ability to make a Mormon bigamist sympathetic. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) We all know that. And of course, I'll give a shout out to the film that uh, one of the films that Bill Paxton actually directed, Frailty, from I believe 2001, which is a wonderful um, horror with supernatural elements to it that uh, that is just beautifully played. And honestly, up to the point of watching that movie, I liked Bill Paxton as an actor, but I always felt a little... um, I always felt a little that he could only play sleaze balls, but in this movie, he really showed that he had chops both as a director and actor. Very worthwhile movie. Liam, have you seen Frailty? Yeah, I remember when it came out. Oh, good for you. No. Oh, my God. What I was <laughs> going to say, if you let me finish, is I remember mm-hmm. when it came out, I was only just starting to pay attention to, I guess, some form of ind- I mean, directed by Pilexen isn't that independent, but it, it wasn't a major film. Right. And so I remember finding it at the video store... And being stoked that I had found, you know what I mean? Like, wow, look at this movie that no one's ever heard of, but Bill Paxton directed it. And oh my gosh, like it was, it it really was something that I kind of rewatched. I, not a lot, but more than uh, some other things because I was so surprised by it. Now, going back to uh, Eric Roberts' Twitter feed, mm-hmm. he recently was tweeting about the Oscars. Now, the Oscars this year, uh, if you're listening to this well into the future, it was slightly controversial because of one of the most unprecedented fuck-ups in Oscar or really live entertainment history occurred uh, during the uh, Best Picture um, uh, proceedings. Well, he doesn't really mention that in any detail, but he did do a little live tweeting during the event itself. He did say on February 26th, Kate McKinnon looks and is beautiful, which I both agree with and is kind of an adorable thing for Eric Roberts to tweet. He also tweeted, costume design. How do you pick? That's the flaw in awards. So much greatness. No need to single out. Sorry. No need to single one out or push any to the side. Uh, Just going to go back over to you, Candace. Do you think he wrote that because he has been nominated for an Oscar but did not win one? Maybe, yeah, that might be a little, just a little easing of the hurt. <laughs> he is right, though. You know, putting art yeah. in competition is, uh, it, can, it can feel a little distasteful, especially in a case where you have these, when it came to the Best Picture uh, nominations, there were a lot of people who had very strong negative feelings, mostly because it was in the face of another movie that they had really strong positive feelings about. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I mean, I can speak specifically to costume. I think a lot of the time it's you're, it's really unfair because you're comparing films set in, you know, if you do a, a Renaissance period film, that's mm-hmm. going to win the award. Um, even though sometimes doing something set in the 80s is much harder from a costume standpoint. Sure. Um, and I and I, like, I think, like, it's it's just one of those ones. I mean, it's easier to compare actors and to say, and or films, I think, and say objectively, you know, Moonlight is a better film. I haven't seen either of them. Moonlight is a better film than La La Land. I can tell. Now, now that I've seen both of them, Moonlight is a better movie than La La Land. On March 2nd, 2017, a number of days after the Oscars have been well uh, into the past, Eric Roberts decided to tweet, thank you at Jimmy Kimmel Live for hosting hashtag the Oscars. So I guess maybe he was uh, feeling um, that... that People were picking on Jimmy Kimmel, or maybe he was just overwhelmed with the thought, you know what, Jimmy Kimmel did a great job hosting the Oscars, and he had to do a shout-out. Liam, Uh, did you watch the Oscars this year? No, I don't have TV. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I kind of watch award shows via just watching Twitter, and like people just post clips of everything we're seeing anyway. But uh, 
somewhere way early in the night, I was so tired. I thought nothing interesting is going to happen because interesting things don't happen at the Oscars. Sure. And it turns out I was wrong. <laughs> you and me both, sir. You and me both. I uh, I don't generally live tweet things. Obviously, I tweet a lot. Both of you know that. But I don't like to live tweet things. I find it kind of irritating usually. However, I always like to tweet along with the Oscars because I find the the event itself so ridiculous. I mean, I I watch it every year. I do enjoy it, but mostly because of the kind of weird ephemeral aspects of it. I don't really enjoy it as a competition. I'm just trying to predict what people might do in these situations. So the fact that it ended in such a crazy way, I was overjoyed. <laughs> I could not have loved the fact that it got so weird and confused and you have those pictures of all these celebrities with like shocked faces. That is exactly how I want these sort of things to end. People so shocked that they have to explain how shocked they were the next day. Uh, I do want to say though, Jimmy Kimmel did a terrible job hosting the Oscars. Oh, really? <laughs> so I will contradict what Eric Roberts says. Uh, you know, then again, Eric Roberts did not say thank you, Jimmy Kimmel Live, for hosting the Oscars well. He just yeah. said thank you for hosting it. So maybe, he, you know, that's a, it's a kind of a backhanded compliment. It's a bit of a participation trophy. Or maybe just a participation ribbon, actually. Just yeah. you showed up. You were... Man, you were on that stage lots of times. <laughs> that that I can agree with. Candace, yeah. are you aware of Canadian auteur Frank D'Angelo? Uh, I know the name, but I don't think I've seen any of his films. He is a sort of a fixture in t- the Toronto and I think Hamilton area. He has a mm. late night talk show on CHCH, oh. uh, which is a channel I used to get. He directs movies uh, in Canada almost mm. on a yearly basis, which have these amazing all-star casts. And um, I mean, I've only watched two of his three movies, and they've been absolutely terrible. <laughs> but And we covered one of them on the show. What, which one was that again, Liam? Uh, Sicilian Vampire. Yeah, and we didn't care for that very much. Yeah. It was real bad. It was really <laughs> not good. Uh, however, I should say that if you are in the Toronto area at the moment, and in certain locations across the entire world, you can currently see his latest film, The Red Maple Leaf. It's playing in cinemas uh, now that we're in March, I believe. It's currently playing in a number of cinemas in Toronto. And again, when I say all-star cast, sometimes I'm being slightly flippant, but his movies really do have a lot of familiar names. In this case, with the Red Maple Leaf, it has Robert Loggia, Paul Sorvino, and his daughter Mira Sorvino. Martin Landau, Oscar winner Martin Landau is in this. Armand Asante, uh, Daniel Baldwin, James Caan, who is returning even though after he was in Sicilian Vampire, there was a giant article online about what the fuck is James Caan doing in this awful movie, (laughs) Sicilian Vampire. I guess it wasn't so awful that he didn't want to return for this movie. And of course, one Mr. Eric Roberts is in there as well. So we will all be keeping our eyes and ears out Mm -hmm. for the Red Maple Leaf. Uh, currently, <laughs> I'm probably not going to be traveling to Toronto to to view it. <laughs> However, I'm sure it will be available on video on demand and your local Redbox uh, in the very near future. Does that still exist, Liam? Redbox? It does. I still get emails oh. about it, uh, and I see it at the grocery store. But I don't know who. I've never seen anyone at the Redbox in the past year, maybe more. I believe it was uh, they they uh, made it available in Canada for a short amount uh, <clears throat> for a short amount of time, but then shut it down entirely. No, there's definitely one at, my, at one of my local grocery stores. Then maybe they only shut it down in Peterborough. <laughs> well, maybe, or maybe this is a rogue red box. I Could mean, be. I don't know. But again, I have also never seen anyone. I don't even see people standing near it. It's kind of like a TARDIS, I think. Really. Could be. Yeah. 
Hey, if you're a fan of Eric Roberts, which I'm guessing you might be, you might be interested in Gravitas Ventures, who have bought all U.S. rights to the Ross McCall starring crime drama, The Beautiful Ones, uh, written and directed by Jesse V. Johnson. It co-stars Jesse Schramm from Mad Men. I don't know who that person is from Mad Men. Uh, Brian T. from TMNT. I believe that stands for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. <laughs> uh, as well as some other people that you don't recognize. And... Eric Roberts, and on Eric Roberts is the fucking man, when we're reading articles about Eric Roberts, we like to see which of his projects they cite as being representative representative of his career, and in this case, they chose The Dark Knights. So, The Dark Knights, Eric Roberts will be in The Beautiful Ones. Look for that soon in a movie theater near you, theoretically. <laughs> Possibly. Recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb page is Bleach from director Michael Edmonds. And the plot of that is a man goes through extreme measures to attempt to stop the ghosts of the girls he murdered in a snuff film from haunting while trying to keep authorities off his back as well. Ah, yes, one of the usually well-written summaries on the (laughs) Internet Movie Database with all sorts of unnecessary words there. This is uh, an interesting-looking project, um, not only because of that plot, which, by the way, actually does kind of sound interesting, Mm -hmm. but its cast is interesting as well. It does have one Mr. Lorenzo Lamas in the cast, um, as well as Mindy Robinson. Who's Mindy Robinson, Liam? I actually have no idea. Who is Mindy Robinson? Well, she plays a character named Queen Isabella in this film. Oh, okay. Uh, Low-budget actor extraordinaire Bill Oberst Jr. is also in the cast. And uh, MMA star and notorious spousal abuser Tito Ortiz is in the cast (laughs) as well. Uh, He's a real piece of garbage, but he's in this movie. Um, (laughs) Also in the movie is Eric Roberts playing a character named Matthew. Who is Matthew? Is he involved with the killer making snuff films and being haunted by ghosts? (laughs) I guess we will have to see when the film Bleach comes out at some point it might actually already be out it is a uh, noted as a 2016 film but we'll be we'll be keeping our eyes out for bleach but with that we have to close the eric roberts news bag and open the project bag today we're going to be talking about two very interesting eric roberts projects that candace you had a, a hand in choosing one of them what Indeed. what is the film that we'll be watching today uh, the film we're watching is called *The King's Guard*, a tale of adventure and daring do, and a, and a little romance, a little romance, and a little bit of swashbuckling in oh, there yes. as well. They're, swashes are buckled for sure. Yes, lots of that. Yeah. Why did you make us watch *The King's Guard*? <laughs> well, perusing uh, all the films, I you know there's so many great titles mm-hmm. in there, and I'm most of them I've not seen or heard of, so I was just going by name alone, and when I clicked on *The King's Guard*. Uh, I saw the the sort of title card or the the image, and I just thought, you know what? I I love a period film. I love an adventure. I like action. This looks like uh, it it'll it'll do it'll do the trick. Um, and when I suggested it to you, your enthusiasm was in, incredible. So it, it seemed like the right choice. My life has been defined by. Uh, uh... Really unfortunate enthusiasm. Really, really misplaced, I would say. Um, many episodes ago on Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, we covered a uh, another Eric Roberts sword movie called By the Sword, uh, which is sort of this romantic, weird um, sword, fighting, fighting, sword fighting movie with F. Murray Abraham in it. But I recall when we covered that movie, I made a comment about uh, it having a misrepresentative cover of Eric Roberts with this big sword pointing it towards the camera. What I was really thinking of was the box art for one 
The King's Guard, which we'll be talking about on this episode, a very, very different movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other project we're going to be discussing a little bit later is an episode of the television series Witchblade. When I told you, Candice, you had to watch an episode of Witchblade, <laughs> what were your thoughts? My thoughts were, oh, Witchblade, I think I've heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine anyone listening to this right now have very similar thoughts to that. Yeah, I mean, supposedly it was popular when it got canceled. Uh, and it's, I think, one of the most popular TV shows ever to be canceled um, <laughs> or something. But it's still, it, like, I, it hadn't really punched through my consciousness that well. So uh, my, my apologies to f- mega fans of Witchblade who are out there. I don't think that fandom reaches st- Serenity levels or Firefly mm-hmm. levels. But, um, you know, I, my apologies to them for not knowing uh, how uh, awesome this show is. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll be talking about that. We actually might be talking about as well why it got canceled a yeah. little bit early once we uh, yes. discuss season two, episode 10 of Witchblade, an episode called Parabolic. We'll get to that a little bit later. But first, we have to take our first break when we return 2000's The King's Guard. Trailers for sale or rent Rooms to let 50 cents No phone, no pool, no pets Ain't got no cigarettes Ah, but two hours of pushing broom buys an eight, twelve, four bedroom I'm a man of means by A princess falls in love with her father's swordsman. Yeah, that's all I have. It's 2000, The King's Guard. Uh, the tagline for the film is, The most powerful enemy always comes from within, which makes no goddamn sense and does not apply to the movie in any real way. That I mean, you can connect it, but goddamn, not really. So the plot of this movie is basically a uh, an, a number of, of the King's Guard are trying to guard the, the king's daughter, the princess, as she's going basically with a group to marry some other king some in some other location. They're attacked by bandits. We find out later that the bandits are led by a former member of the King's Guard who had asked her to marry him, but she refused. So instead, he's going to steal her away with force. That guy trying to steal her away, that's Augustus Talbert, played by Eric Roberts. His uh, guy that he's hired, I guess, to help him, that's Lord Morton, played by Ron Perlman. There's a lot of really awful fake British accents, as I'm sure you're already <laughs> guessing here. And... Uh, the, the 98% of the movie takes place in a burnt-out building where all the good guys are are inside of it while all the bad guys are in the woods outside of it and they have to figure out how to, I guess, kill all the bad guys who are outnumbering them by a great amount. If that sounds at all interesting, well, I've got a surprise for you. But let's start <laughs> with what our... <laughs> what, what, with what, let's start, actually, with what my co-host thought of the, uh, the movie, the lovely movie, The King's Guard from the year 2000. Liam, what did you think? Well, Doug. Agreed. um, It's not as painful as some of the other lower budget things we've watched before. Uh, In fact, what it felt like for a lot of the movie was a kind of filmed play. Um, Yes. And you've seen these before where uh, someone has the basically the budget for costumes and things that you would have for a, you know, sort of community stage production. But they brought a camera and they have a friend with a large yard, and so they're going to turn the play into a movie. The problem, the only reason it isn't necessarily as good as a filmed play 
is that the dialogue <laughs> is not of community theater quality. You know, like right. it's it's not at least with a filmed play, though the action is bad and and the camera angles are terrible and all that sort of thing. At the very minimum, it's a play, so someone put some time into writing the dialogue. Instead, it feels like most of the film they just sort of like freestyle what they think. An old timey play might sound like it's like improvised fake British dialogue, and it's bad. It's so painful, and it's like the only thing that might be interesting is if if the characters were witty and made witty jokes, but they don't. Yeah. And then there's sword fighting. Well, the sword fighting might be okay. Sword yeah. fighting is really bad, right? Uh, if most of the movie, it's it's at the very minimum, maybe you could. You could see some nice outdoor settings. And there's basically two settings. One is someone's backyard. Like, clearly Mm -hmm. someone's backyard. They just mulch. (laughs) Like, before they started filming, they mulched the backyard. And then the other setting is just, like, next to a highway somewhere in Southern California. It's, like, not Mm -hmm. engaging in any way. And then the final thing is, like, here's Ron Perlman and and Eric Roberts. This is a combo I want in my life. I would like to see this again sometime. But in this film, there's nothing. There's nothing. It's literally nothing. <laughs> well, they do interact. They do speak to one another. And they sure. do fight at one point as well. Sure. We'll get to that in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, if you're hoping for the uh, classic Eric Roberts, Ron Perlman standoff that you've been waiting for, then this might not be the movie to satiate that. But let's go over to our guest, Candice. Did <laughs> did the Kingsguard meet your expectations or maybe fall a little below? <laughs> Um, you know, uh, when you, when you watch a lot of sort of period setting, uh, action films, uh, your, your bar is pretty low. Mm -hmm. And this of course sank even, even below that. I mean, the, the whole film consists basically of, uh, half an hour of dialogue that is terrible and I agree mostly improv um, with these awful British accents 45 minutes I think of fighting and then about <laughs> 15 minutes of men jogging without a real sense of urgency from place to place like, <laughs> there is a ton and it's not they're not running like there's like once once the hero actually full tilt runs and I think it's at the end he's running after the girl and the villain uh, Eric Roberts and, you guys have uh, really little respect from the, the tiger claw maneuver what the uh, fuck <laughs> they would not mostly that mostly was it just consisted of guy runs <laughs> other guys try to shoot him and then another guy runs and then other guys try to shoot him and then ooh a girl runs <laughs> like i'm like oh way to mix it up you guys that you really pulled you know that was like a m night Shyamalan kind of ending on that tiger claw <laughs> and tigers have like more than three claws so i i mean it doesn't make any sense uh the the film is pretty it's it's pretty dead right from the beginning, like to the point where I was saying earlier, I actually would sometimes forget I was watching a film and I would meander off, you know, do some little errand in my in my room or something and be like, oh shit, and go back to the laptop and actually rewind because I had well, I hadn't missed anything, but um I had just forgotten. Because for me, um there are two things that, that immediately stop all character and plot uh development. And those two things are a sex scene or a fight mm-hmm. scene. <laughs> and it's very rare that either advance the plot or the character in any way. And since so much of this movie is I mean, it's basically filler. Like they had the barest of plots to hang this film on and they really didn't there's no subplot, they didn't develop anything. That's right. Um, and so, really, they just filled time by having these barely choreographed fight scenes where you can obviously see 
uh, guys getting killed by swords that went under their arm. You know? like, <laughs> that happens over and over, and you're just like, and even the the version we have is is not a high quality version, but it's no. still really clear, even though it's super pixely. And it's it's sort of like it reminded me of um the the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie that came out in the '90s, where the bad guys would be killed by leaping over a staff. <laughs> Um, because of course it couldn't even get a PG-13 rating. And I think this one does have PG-13, which is funny because even though a lot of people die, no one looks like they're actually dying. So, yeah. you know. And in, and in fact, they're very, very careful to make sure that, uh, spoiler alert, everybody, oh, yeah. that all of our heroes, they live. And yeah. even, they don't even get injured. Well, yeah. they, oh, I mean, the old guy. The old guy oh, does yeah, get yeah, slightly yeah. injured. However, he, yeah. he seems to get better in the process of the yeah. movie. Yes, really and there's also better. a character who is not presented sympathetically at all. Uh, he later decides to act very heroically. And then he says goodbye to everybody as he's about to make this kind of... Um, he's meeting someone who's waving a white flag. But oh, yes. the suggestion in the movie is like, oh, this guy's fucking dead. And of course, he goes out there, immediately gets shot. And you're like, well, it doesn't really matter. No one cared about that character anyway. They wouldn't even let that guy die. No. no. And the princess, when she she's sending him to her death has this grin on her face like a maniac like she's <laughs> she's just looking at him like i'm so stoked that you're dying and i'm like what is wrong with this woman somebody let let her look a little grave or sad or something but no she just looks like she he's going to get her an ice cream cone like that is the look on her face Ooh, ice cream i actually think the pp13 <laughs> is completely because of the utterly nonsensical end sequence in which we get a slow focus in shot of all the corpses of the bad guys, the bad guys who like the bad guys are not in frame long enough for you to recognize their faces. Like no. as far as you know, it's the same twenty guys, and they just like switch their shirts or their pants or something. But it's just like there's only twenty guys, and it's supposed to be like sixty guys. But at mm-hmm. the end, they got to do this slow, meditative, like look at all this carnage, and I'm like. But why though? Like, why am I supposed to care about all these dead pirates who I couldn't even see their face before? And some of them, some of those shots are really lingering on a guy's crotch. Yeah. Like that one. And uh, do you guys remember he's like blonde? He's got one leg up. And he, he, it's just, you're just like, you're on his crotch for like a good 10 seconds. And I'm like, but there's not, there's no, why are we here? Please take me away from this weird extras crotch. I'm not enjoying my time here. Uh, this film was directed and written by Jonathan Tidor or Tidor. Uh, he was the writer of the film 1990s Dark Angel. Now, uh, people in North America might know that movie as I Come in Peace, starring Dolph Lundgren. Uh, and I believe that the villain from that movie actually appears in this movie as the character of Angus, uh, big, blonde, sweetie-looking guy. I think he doesn't have any lines. But who I wanted to mention, just briefly, and this is very self-indulgent, is uh, Roxanne, who is the uh, assistant uh, of the princess in this movie is played by Christine Haje or Haj. And uh, that name probably means nothing to anybody listening to this right now. But Christine was my very first television crush ever uh, on the television series Head of the Class in the uh, 1980s. She was the red haired girl in that. And here she is in the King's Guard making a valiant attempt at an English accent. Uh, and, and when she showed up, I'm like, Oh my god, I'm feeling something. And uh, that did not last. Her character does not have anything interesting to do at all. And I actually felt a little bad for her because the part is so thankless in all sorts of different ways. But I just wanted to briefly mention it because, hey, to me, it was important. 
Now, we have talked a little bit already about Eric Roberts and Ron Perlman. We'll get back to them in just mm-hmm. a moment. But I really do want to make it very clear, as is per usual, and Eric Roberts is the fucking man, uh, the main names that are listed in this cast, which include both of those and Leslie Ann Down, who a lot of people know from various productions. She has a, um, a very – she plays a lot of upper-class British characters. She's in this movie for literally 30 seconds at the very beginning. Everyone else – uh, has 10 times more screen time and are 10 times less interesting. <laughs> but I did want to go through the performances uh, briefly with the both of you, starting with you, Candace. Were there any performers in this that actually stu- stood out in either a good or bad way outside of our uh, our well-known names? I, I mean, not really. It, it is, um, there is there is one black character whose name, I think his name is it's not Otto. It's something like, I don't know. It's it's a guy. It's a male name. Um, I'm really bad with names. He's sort of a musketeer-ish character. Yeah. And, I mean, he he seems to be the only uh, actor there with any genuine comedic chops. Um, and he, I mean, he still doesn't have a lot to do. But he, he did seem to be the most charming of the terrible, bad, not funny actors. Who he, didn't were like, of- he didn't like his hat. Yes, that's yeah. his. That's the center of his character. Totally, but Doesn't he was like really that. obsessed with his clothes and them being dirty <laughs> all the time. I mean, I liked that they didn't like. They kind of were trying to edge towards the gay stereotype, but they weren't playing right. on it so heavily that it was offensive. There were lots of little moments where I was like, "Oh man, you can really tell this was shot in 2000, and no one would say that now." Right. Um, but, uh, but you know, I, I felt like they handled that all right. You know, um, and he was he was fun. More fun to watch than everyone else, kind of on his level of cast, which is not, it's really damning with faint praise. But, you sure. know, he was he was all right, you know? <laughs> I did get the impression that his lines may have been dubbed. I felt like him and the oh, older yeah. gentleman uh, who got injured and was supposed to be the uh, master swordsman, I felt like both of their, their roles were uh, mostly dubbed. I'm guessing that had little to do with... Um, with the sound recording and more to do with the accents it, it often yeah. is in a case like this where most of the accents are shaky if the characters were not actually British any uh, any performances stand out to you Liam? No <laughs> I mean I hate, I hate to say it because I don't want to it's it's we've watched far worse than this movie, so I, I I don't want to attack it so hard that people are expecting a uh, you know Dark Moon Rising level film, but sure. uh, but most of the characters' job is to be not noticeable, mm-hmm. like especially the bandits or pirates or whatever the, the heck they're supposed to be. They clearly recycle them for the different yes, fight scenes. They yeah. do. So yes. you're you're they film it in such a way where you can't notice, you can't see who they are. Um, the only the only ones that stand out are the ones the various ones who have the white flag. You know, there's right. a couple, and so they they bring a little bit to it. The one guy who, um, the second time they send him out, and he's like, you know, I'm a sergeant now or whatever. I was like, okay, that guy exi- he has a pulse, I guess. Yeah, right, because he has a backstory <laughs> that is hinted at. Yeah, 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 yeah. But for the most part, no. I mean, all of our heroes are boring and annoying. The the princess is not my favorite. Um, I guess I, I guess I kind of like I guess I kind of like the fat guy just because I I just like the fat guy like that's just who I am oh, as yeah. a person I'm like 
Oh, yeah, it's moments. a funny fat guy who brings up pies. I, I get it. All right. Yeah. And he does that, that wonderful performance of Romeo oh. and Juliet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, can we talk about this fucking play? And the- We can, of course. The play's I mean, the thing, I say. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, it's public domain, so anyone can use it, <laughs> uh, which is probably helpful. But I've just, it like, and it was like the, the, first in, the first and only incidence of the song Greensleeves on the soundtrack, <laughs> which I was waiting for, because when you watch a movie set in a dubiously renaissance period of <laughs> in a country of no particular reality uh, that is still referencing real places all the time I, I assume it's Britain that they were sort of setting it in um, I imagine so <laughs> the chances of hearing green sleeves are like 99.5% so they did bring green sleeves in when they were doing the Romeo and Juliet scenes but that was just and that was like that was the one place where they did a, a kind of they, they were playing a, a male on male kiss for laughs and I was like ugh this is this is weak. This really, and it really did feel like that was like maybe they got a little high, and the cameras were rolling, and everyone was getting a little punch drunk because it was getting to the end of the day, and they were just like, "We're just gonna improvise Romeo and Juliet." Okay, let's do it. Oh, you're so funny. No, you're funny. And I, I, just- lo- I love that 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 sequence. Yeah, it went on forever, and it happened right in the middle of this. Like, they're in a very dangerous situation where their lives are in peril, and the princess and her uh, concierge and and her helper and things, they're just sitting down and watching these two jackasses perform, and it's like, well, have you just forgotten how much danger you're in? There were no (laughs) stakes. There was nothing. No one had anything to lose. You never got the sense that anyone was actually going to be affected by any of the incidents happening, and they just needed to fill time, so they threw a play in there. Yeah, and you mentioned the soundtrack, and the, the, the music in this movie is very Ren Faire. I mean, oh, you, yeah. everything that you expect it to be uh, with a lot of flutes, and yeah, I mean, it's exactly what you'd expect. I do want to jump right to the beginning just briefly because the first two, three minutes of this movie, which is all kind of preamble to what the plot is, uh, I was like really expecting the worst because not only are the <laughs> opening credits, they look like they were done for like a high school class project and the music at the beginning sounds really cheap and awful as well. The first thing you see is this weird effects shot of a castle that looks so terrible. Oh. <laughs> uh, and all I could think is like, oh God, I hope they spend the rest of this movie in a single field, which thankfully is exactly what they delivered. Um, <laughs> but though, though I feel like maybe they don't because there were a couple of scenes it's hard to tell because the quality wasn't strong. Sure. Where they were inside that stupid uh, ruin set that right. they spent all their time in, where it really did feel like the background was CG. Oh, could and, have been. Yeah, like I feel like they they had to put in some shots because they maybe had to reshoot some stuff on a soundstage or something. <laughs> they just took the ruin set to somewhere else. Um, and I may be wrong because, like I said, not the highest quality. But yeah, that castle was bad. It was bad at any measure. Like I would have, I would have spotted if I was standing twenty feet from my laptop. I feel like I would have been like, oh, bad CGI castle. <laughs> from, that, from that beginning, though, I was asking the question of where this was set because mm. the outdoor shot we do get, clear palm trees. So I'm immediately thinking <laughs> we're not in England. I mean, we're definitely in Southern California, and they have made no effort to hide the palm trees. Like, you'd think they would at least shoot at an angle where you couldn't tell they were palm trees, <laughs> but that doesn't happen either. So I was just kind of like, maybe even though they're all British-sounding – we're supposed to think this is like Italy or, you know, like Shakespeare's yeah. always picking a random place that doesn't exist in Italy. And that's where the play is set. So that's what I was thinking. Exactly. But then we get the Scottish guy and the Scottish yeah. guy is too specific to be hanging out at fake Italian, you know, kingdom. Yeah. But then they're all also dressed like musketeers who that's are right. French. Right. <laughs> it's true. You know, like, at, like a lot. Well, not all of them, but the, I mean, like. 
The clothing is very nonspecific. And one of them has a French accent as well. Uh, and he, oh, see, right. At least he attempts a French accent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they reference places. They reference, like, Florence. I mean, they, and they, the, the place that she's going to get married, I, it, I kept thinking it was Sicily or right. Sicilian, but it totally isn't. It just sounds a lot like that. And when you watch the flood scenes at the end, it seems like a lot of them kept mistaking and saying Sicily, <laughs> Sicily, Sicilian instead of saying whatever the actual name was. So I think maybe they accidentally left some of those in. Because <laughs> it, I was very confused in the beginning and I, really trying to suss out where the hell this place is supposed to be. Like you really do have to establish. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, people are going to spend the entire film going in the back of their mind thinking, where are we? Like, <laughs> As C- Candace just alluded to, by the way, that there are a series of outtakes at the end of the credits oh, yeah. in the King's Guard, uh, which, of course, if you are able to track down a copy, and good luck, uh, you'll be able to <laughs> enjoy yourselves. I do want to just briefly talk about Ron Perlman in this as well. Mm. He is one of the actors I was most looking forward to seeing in this. Uh, Ron Perlman, of course, has had a extremely long and uh, and and very interesting career in a lot of ways. I think a lot of people were probably introduced to him in the Beauty and the Beast television series back in the late 80s with Linda Hamilton. Uh, but we know him best, I imagine, now uh, as Hellboy. Uh, but of course, he's, he's appeared in not quite as many projects as Eric Roberts, but a number in his own right. Unfortunately, yeah, this is a very thankless role that he has here. As the leader of the bandits, um, he's basically made to look like a fool. Then he has a sword fight with Eric Roberts, which he promptly loses and is killed by him. So uh, as you alluded to, Liam, if you're hoping for the big Eric Roberts-Ron Perlman standoff, this is not the place to find it. However, he does make a valiant, I use that word again, attempt at a British accent in this. What did you think of the Ron Perlman performance, Liam? It was disappointing. Yes. Um, he, I mean, the accent is a joke. He can never maintain it for even the course of a single word, let alone a sentence. Uh, but then it's like, why force it? I, I don't know. The The accents in the film were so unnecessary that his his inability to maintain an accent almost started to feel a little comforting because it was like, just let him be Ron yeah. Perlman. You know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. He has one of the most distinctive voices in the fucking world. Yeah. Just let him use it. Exactly. It's, it's it's part of his actor's tools. What did you think of seeing Ron Perlman in this movie, uh, Candace? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree. Disappointment is definitely the word. I mean, he's got nothing to work with. He's got nowhere to go. And, you know, I, I used to do a lot of theater, and, and people would, cheerful, uh, obnoxious people would say, there's no small parts, just small actors. And I disagree. <laughs> there are there are small and bad parts, and this is one of them. And even someone who I like, and I like I like Ron Perlman so much. I love his work. I think he's a fabulous actor. Uh, I I will show up to see things that he's in. It's one of the reasons that I suggested this one. I was like, mm-hmm. if Eric Roberts and Ron Perlman in it are in it, how bad could it be? Well, <laughs> surprise, <laughs> I was wrong. I mean, I don't know if maybe the kid that directed this is somebody's nephew, uh, or you know, like that was. I mean, I did kind of get that sense, like they're on. They're on Uncle Joe's farm or his ranch or whatever in Southern California, and it's little Johnny, and he, you know, he's written a script. So, you know, a bunch of family friends are going to show up to be in his film. Um, except when you look at the when you look at the credits, you do see that Eric Roberts has like his own driver. He's got his own costume maker. He's got like so obviously all the budget went to Eric Roberts, but. Um, I just, I, I really wanted more. I wanted more of Ron Perlman, and then I also wanted more from Ron Perlman. He basically, it looked like he doesn't, he, he doesn't want to be there. He wasn't being given any direction, and he just sort of 
gets through his lines in the most workmanlike way he possibly can. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, this is a movie that feels very compromised in some ways. It yeah. does have both a very sudden ending, but also the transition from the beginning of the story, uh, we get two sets of opening credits and then it jumps into the action with a voiceover explaining all of the things that happened as they were accosted <laughs> on their way by bandits. And it's like, well, and like, like much of the action has already occurred at that point. And, um, and it kind of just wants to get us to this single location that most of the movie takes place in. Very strangely paced, very strange tone as well. There's a lot of humor, as we mentioned already. There's a romantic element to it, as you can probably imagine. And as I mentioned in the uh, plot description, but it, it also, you know, it is, I wouldn't say extremely violent, but lots of people get stabbed. Lots of people get shot. There are bodies littering the grounds. <laughs> Actually, when it shows them at the end, when it does a little montage of bodies, there's a shockingly large number of corpses <laughs> just just laying around there. A lot of people died in the uh, in the Kingsguard. But let's turn our attention to the titular actor who gives this podcast its name and also gives this uh, film its poster. Eric Roberts is in the Kingsguard, not for a really long amount of time. Despite his his cover appearance, he probably only has about 15, maybe 20 minutes of screen time in the entire movie. He, just like Ron Perlman, also attempts to do an accent. However, Eric Roberts trying to do a British accent is indistinguishable than from like <laughs> upper class Eric Roberts, where he just kind of gets kind of a little hoity in his voice and just kind of slips into an accent every once in a while. So let's start with you, Liam. What did you think of Eric Roberts in The Kingsguard? You know, unfortunately, I, so we've talked about this before. I love villain Eric Roberts. I love yes. schmarmy Eric Roberts. But he's barely on screen. He barely does anything. And... Eric Roberts, it turns out, as a sword fighter in this movie, is not as impressive as him in the weird fencing movie we watched. Uh, he was double-handing it. I don't know if you noticed that. Two hands, two swords. Yeah, everybody had two swords in this film, and they yeah. all sucked with both. They were all Though I'll bad. tell you, I, look, yeah. I understand that you guys didn't enjoy the sword fighting in this movie. <laughs> However, when you're dealing with fucking muskets that can only do one shot at a time before everyone has to plunge into it like they're furiously masturbating, it, it really <laughs> – I will take the sword fighting – a hundred percent of the time. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, and it certainly gave a lot of, you know, out of work fight directors something to do. Exactly. For a weekend. So, you know, huzzah to getting, getting paid. <laughs> Gotta get paid. Gotta Liam, get is, paid. is that all your thoughts on Eric Roberts in this, uh, in this film? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I just felt like, uh, it, it wasn't a, a performance he put a lot into and it felt like there wasn't much for him to do. And the, the, the thing about the character is that, there's a whole backstory that doesn't really get explored. You know, he's a, he's a former member of the King's guard. They just obliquely mention it a couple times. Sure. And he never really gets to do anything very villainous. I mean, the, the most exciting aspect to me is when he fights Ron Perlman and it wasn't that great. I did like the fact that it kind of suggests when he's first introduced as a character that, uh, he's a little bit more directly malevolent. I mean, obviously he is a very bad guy. He's basically trying to steal a woman, which is not a good thing. Uh, but but it, it not that he has any sort of expertise or sense. There's no suggestion right away that he is anyone necessarily to be feared. It looks like he's just hired someone to do his dirty work. And he even first suggests, like, everyone attack right away. That's the only way you're going to get him. And, of course, us as viewers are going to be like, oh, yeah, he, he just doesn't care about these guys' lives. It turns out he's just really smart and knows how to kill this guy. And uh, to use his, his superior numbers in that way is the only way to do it. 
and he's shown to be more intelligent as it goes along. That is literally the only positive thing I can say about <laughs> his performance here. Candace, what did you think of Eric Roberts in this movie? I mean, it, it's funny because I, I kind of, I was like, I was looking out for him. It took about 25 minutes, I think, or 30 minutes for him to make an appearance. Sure. And then finally you're like, oh, there he is. Great. Um, but he was really flat. Again, like Ron Perlman, it was kind of a disappointment. Um, I did sort of enjoy the very end fight scene where, spoiler alert, he meets his end. Um, what? I Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I enjoyed that. I, I, I was like, you know what? This is like... This is the first, I mean, maybe it was because the, um, well, I don't know, there was, a, I just felt like it was like the, the one of the more compelling fight scenes. I was sure. like, oh, stakes, there are stakes, there are things at stake here, you know? There's the girl, there's the guy, there's the villain. It was very like, it was, it's simple, but it was m- way, offered way more tension than basically anything else that had happened in the film. <laughs> I so, feel like his death is very much like, hey, what, stab? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then he does this like, cute little twirl as he falls and i was just like this man this is a man who is totally fed up with shooting this movie and it was great and i just i loved the little twirl it really stuck in my mind um but i also feel like like when you look at the cover art and you see it's eric roberts and he's got his sword pointing towards you and it's sure. king's guard and he's got you know an impressive looking outfit that could very well be a military commander You've got the army in the background on horses. No horses make an appearance in this film. <laughs> no. Um, in fact, they, they, they make a very uh, – they make a point to say that the horses had all ran off before yes. we ever get introduced <laughs> to the action. What a shame. I know. But, I, I, like, you look at it and you think, oh, Eric Roberts is the King's Guard. No. Even though he would have been much better mm, in the role and much absolutely. more compelling – uh, than the anonymous blonde man that they put in that role instead. That is his uh, name, anonymous blonde man. Yeah, totally. I mean, star of star of many daytime TV. That's uh, right, soaps. <laughs> to be fair, almost everyone in this movie has made a lot of appearances on like General Hospital, and including Eric Roberts in early Indeed. in his career. <laughs> yeah, and you know, no shade again. You know, it's respectable, whatever pays the bills. Um, but it doesn't foster the best uh, acting chops, and it it does show. And the the guy who plays the lead is just a he's a dead weight that the film is dragging along with him the whole way and i think a few judicious swaps of characters and actors would have been really to the benefit of the whole film eric roberts could have done much more with the role mm-hmm. as shitty and badly written as it is <laughs> this does beg the question candace in the king's guard from the year 2000 is eric roberts the fucking man i mean he is the man in this film for sure. He is the fucking man. Uh, I, I'm going to give him the fucking man for the pirouette uh, at the end of his death. That's what I'm giving him it for. And also also for the blooper reel at the end where all of a sudden he is uh, an absolute, he's absolutely charming. Like I, I, That's the Eric Roberts I'd like to see is the one in the blooper reel. So yes, Eric Roberts is indeed the fucking man in this film. Over to you, Liam. Do you agree or disagree? It's hard for me to give him the man on this one because I found the film so mediocre and I found his performance mediocre. However, the bar is also really low on this film. So mm-hmm. if I had to think of like, okay, who in the film is actually acting at all in any way, shape or form, it's Eric Roberts. So mm-hmm. I think I'm going to give him the man on this one. All right. That's very fair. I would say. I'm going to complete that trinity and say, yes, of course, Eric Roberts is the fucking man in The King's Guard, a very poor film with a very nice 
<laughs> cover. <laughs> that makes it look like it's going to be a lot more engaging and exciting than it ends up being. It's very flawed. Uh, it doesn't have the kind of fun performances that you would even you would even suggest that it might since that there is a lot of kind of lighthearted co- comedy that takes place there's a lot of cast members in this movie and of them the only two that that kind of come to mind as anything that is even notable would be Ron Perlman and of course Eric Roberts so yes Eric Roberts is the fucking man in 2000's The King's Guard that said I think we deserve at least one Eric Roberts I'm sorry for that I'm sorry how about one more <laughs> I'm sorry thanks Eric it's okay <laughs> Will he have to apologize again for his appearance in the early 2000s television series Witchblade? We're going to take a break, and when we come back, let's find out. A link to unusual circumstances and the mysterious tattoos on the murder victims leads Sarah and Jake to investigate other hate crimes that have been interrupted but are occurring across the city. That is just word salad that I just read. That makes no sense at all. It becomes apparent that a vigilante is trying to thwart the efforts of the hate crime perps. Sarah goes undercover to find out more about the tattoos that are traced to the Lupo organization and its mysterious leader, played by Eric Roberts. But when her disguise is blown, she must use... The Witchblade to escape. <laughs> yes, based on the comic, which I just read has been had been running for 20 years, wow. we're talking about the television series from the early 2000s, Witchblade. Now, I'm peripherally aware of Witchblade as a comic book series, but mostly from its lurid cover art, usually involving half-naked women covered in some sort of chainmail, uh, and usually with the big blade coming out of her arm. So they decided, uh, the creators of it, uh, Mark Silvestri and the late Michael Turner, who was a, uh, a comic book artist that unfortunately passed away rather tragically many, many years back, um, that they turned that into a television series, as one does. And it very much is in the mold of the kind of hour-long uh, television series from that time period, kind of post-Buffy. You can tell that they're trying to get a Buffiness going on mm-hmm. here with a lot of the interplay between the characters. And it's sort of, the tone is sort of light, even though it gets serious every once in a while. I would suggest that despite those efforts, it fails in a pretty uh, significant (laughs) way by not being very engaging or interesting. However, I must make it very clear up front. We have all, I'm pretty sure that this is the case, have all three of us only watched a single episode of this show. And it was (laughs) season two, episode 10 of a two season long television series. Uh, So uh, we'll get back to the reasons why that might have been only two seasons in just a little bit. As Candace mentioned before, it was rather successful at the time it was airing, even though it did look rather uh, inexpensive to make. (laughs) The Witchblade as a franchise has actually been impressively 
um, uh, far-reaching. Not only was there an anime series back in 2004, there's also uh, a manga in uh, in 2004 as well, a Japanese novel. And as of January 2017, and hold on to your socks, uh, guest and co-host, NBC announced that they're working on a brand new Witchblade television series with Carol Mendelson and Carolyn Dree serving as executive producers. I'm guessing it's very possible that the fall of 2017, we may see a new Witchblade TV series. I'm going to throw it over to you, Candace. What, mm-hmm. what is a Witchblade? <laughs> and what does it, what purpose does it serve? As far as I can tell, the Witchblade is not a blade in this TV series. It is a magic bracelet that looks like you bought it at your local tribal goods uh, hippie store. Yeah, it um, deflects bullets. We should make yeah. that clear. Very much oh, like totally Wonder Woman's does. Wonder Woman's gauntlets. She can yeah. deflect bullets with her bracelet, which, yeah. also, which expands. also expands. Yeah. yeah, and I feel like based on the credits, and this is again dropping into one episode, uh, she can also maybe get full body armor because in the credits she's got a full like medieval set like set of armor on uh i think she can maybe also get weapons from this magic bracelet it seems like it's it's pretty intense and from the reading i've done it chooses her which is kind of interesting because she can still also hand it off to people apparently and they can use it um i i think uh, well, she, know, that mean, did happen in this episode. Happen. Yeah. That, so, I mean, I don't. I mean, I'm I'm not really aware of the the whole mythology, but uh, as far as I can tell, it's it it, it is like I agree, very Buffy ish. Um, except this is centered around an object, but she's the chosen one. She's been chosen by this magic bracelet, and the magic bracelet can defend her, but not a hundred percent by the looks of it. This is the Wikipedia uh, summary of the plot. Of the comic book, but it should give okay. us an idea of what's what's happening here. The series yeah. follows Sarah Pizzini, uh, who is uh, played by Yancey Butler in the show, an NYPD homicide detective who comes into the possession of the Witchblade, a supernatural sentient gauntlet that bonds with a female host and provides her with a variety of powers in order to fight supernatural evil. Sarah struggles to hone the powers of the Witchblade and fend off those with a nefarious interest in it, such as entrepreneur Kenneth Irons and the, his bodyguard Ian Nottingham, those names don't matter to us, but yeah. that gives us sort of a background. What I'm confused about from watching this TV series is why is she hiding her Witchblade power? What? Why can't she just tell people that she has this and maybe it actually helps her? You can tell that she's actually making sure, you know, she goes to this uh, hate rally, <laughs> kind of <a laughs> yeah. nondescript hate rally um, by herself. Very, I don't believe that they would allow her to do that in real yeah. life. With no, like, she's not even wearing uh, a wire or she doesn't have any sort of communication at all. They paint a fake tattoo on her with the general (laughs) sense that this is going to get her inside. It does not work at all. And she immediately gets attacked. Um, I do like that there's a, uh, the kind of subplot that's happening here is actually way more interesting than the main plot of the series, which is that you have this ancient, like, Romanian girl. Like, she's played by someone who's early 20s, late teens, but she's supposed to be hundreds of years old, and she is using these two giant guns to murder people who are part of this hate group. So she's interrupting... Um, it, it starts with like an Asian grocery store. Uh, some punks are trying to burn it down, so she shoots and kills them. Later, we see a gay couple get accosted, and she shoots and kills the people doing the assaulting there. So there's an interesting element. Does not go anywhere interesting at all. However, that was just my feeling on the subject. Liam, what did you get out of this episode of Witchblade? Um, not very much. I mean, she's got two 
partners like i couldn't tell which of the cops were her partners but one is sort of a sensitive asian man uh <laughs> the other one is like the the white guy who's angry all the time <laughs> and then there's the guy who's not a cop but he's always around being hip and young um mm-hmm. sort of sort of a prefixing of the idea that there's a whole generation coming that that my generation isn't going to understand he's like that sort mm-hmm. of like you're young and you get things and you learn quickly you know and i don't know is why. he the, one, the, the, the documentary filmmaker who also understands ancient hungarian yeah mm-hmm. i mean he feels like that was random what's weird about it is it, he feels like Witchblade's poochie the dog and i'm like isn't this <laughs> season two how do you already have a poochie like what's going on right now um <laughs> But I, why why was he allowed on the show? Like I don't understand who his character is. And again, yeah. I'm sorry for anyone listening who's a big fan of this Witchblade television series. I just didn't understand who was he like a relative of someone? He's just allowed to film crime scenes. That seems like a, a border that you shouldn't be crossing. Have you ever seen I mean, a little show called Castle? Castle yeah. is that with yeah. the with the the charming uh, uh, star of Firefly in it? Yeah, Nathan Fillion. Can, can, Canada's own Nathan Fillion? Yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's a castle situation. He just is uh. documenting things, and so he's... But you can tell there's some conflict over how much access he should get and whatever, whatever. It's it's a... It, to, it, whatever, yeah. Fellini. He's definitely he's definitely <laughs> Poochie the dog. Like He's definitely like, yeah. they're already trying to revitalize the show. Unless he's been there from the beginning, in which case... Why are they, you know, episode 10, season two, still being like, who's this guy? It's like, wait, what? Like, they must have introduced him this season or else none of it makes any sense. This uh, this episode has one of my least favorite tropes in movies and TV series, which is when a character has someone in their apartment that is wanted for something, right? And then someone knocks on their door and suddenly they have to hide that person. Okay, that's reasonable enough. But... They are then made to rush and say, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming to the person at the door who for some reason is in this ridiculous hurry and has to keep yep. knocking to get inside, even though they're coming just to bother our main character. And just to say, you know, it's like the middle of the goddamn night. And it's just like, <laughs> hey, hey, what took you so long? It's like, I was maybe in bed or maybe I was doing something that took me more than 30 seconds to put pants on, which, by the way, she actually has to do in this scene. Yeah, she totally <laughs> does. It's weird. this show also has one of my pet peeves which is person who has supernatural access and abilities skeptical of other supernatural things she has magical sword hands like she just thinks it and her hands turn into gauntlets that then shoot out a retractable sword wolverine style side note definitely influenced by wolverine and yeah uh, no kidding and, and yet when she meets magical girl she's like eh, it's just a little girl nothing special about her it's just some little girl and no matter what this girl does she just keeps going with that like that's okay and i'm like that mm-hmm. doesn't make any like, it's like when you're on the vampire show and someone's like well he's a werewolf and they're like i don't believe in werewolves like what yeah. how do you not i don't understand <laughs> this this poochie character you were referring to liam i also dislike the fact that how convenient it would be that he can read this language and translate oh, yeah. it. It just seems so idiotic to have this character. I mean, it's incredible that he has all of these amazing skills and also mm-hmm. happens to be this young dickhead who who they bring along on like stakeouts and things like that. Just just absolutely, absolute fucking twaddle. I mean, we right from the beginning when he glances down at the tattoo and he's like, oh, I think it's a gypsy symbol. <laughs> and I'm like, 
And I'm like, first of all, and that does not make any sense later because if they're white supremacists, they hate gypsies too. Yeah, right? Not, or, you know, like whatever they are, they're somehow racist. All racists hate gypsies, the Roma people. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and so the idea that they would then have a gypsy symbol tattooed on the back of their neck, and there's nothing about it that looks Hungarian or gypsy or Roma or European in any way. It just looks like some like 18 year old was doodling in math class, right? It's just, it's just, it's like, oh, this is so cool. This is a cool symbol. We're all going to get tattooed on the back of our necks. But that he just would look at it and go, oh, I think it's gypsy. And then, and then, oh, I just happened to know ancient Hungarian. Oh, I just happened to, like, he's like, what is he? Like, he's this 22 year old filmmaker kid who just happens to have all the skills they need. I mean, maybe that's why he's hanging around. Doesn't it? Yeah, but the, I got the feeling, though, that there there might be a reveal later on that he's more than what mm. he seems. Like, oh. hey, you know, having not watched a show, but even when he says stuff and he's like, uh, you know, I'm an autodidact or I'm this, I'm like, yeah. I'm like, either this is the worst show ever, which is possible, or mm-hmm. that's like a wink. Like, the audience who's familiar with the comic is going, oh, it's not true because he's actually this character I know about from the comic book. I mean, that's possible, Liam. However, I should mention, there's only two more episodes left in this entire series after this one <laughs> that we watched. So if that was to happen, it hopefully happened very fucking quickly. Yeah. I do feel like the whole episode was written by guys I used to play AD&D with. <laughs> like, all of the dialogue is so florid and yes. over the top, and the characters are all magic snowflakes who are super special. And, and like, the, there's that one point when she walks up to the guy, the main, the main character... Uh, Pez, Sarah, whatever her name is, she walks up to the the ponytail guy with the dog, and she has some kind of psychic power as well. I think right. we should mention that. Right, yeah, it's, it's weird. Not a useful psych- psychic power, because it just seems like vague, weird images that mostly just make her look a bit crazy. <laughs> but um, So she walks up to the guy with the dog, and he's like, hey, how goes the fight against good and evil? Uh, Dark versus night, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, and that was the moment where I was just like, oh my god, I'm trapped in a terrible, terrible role-playing session where we're all rolling dice tabletop and downing like jolt cola so we can stay up all night because we're so cool Um, and i totally did that in high school and that it had its time and its place but like i do feel like the the writing is just the language is over the top like even the use of the word autodidactic like you don't hear that word in in conversation like i mean i have a pretty big vocabulary and i would not whip that one out in just like the office you know so i i feel like all of the writing is really florid really overdone um and i feel like they, i i don't know like they they needed to dial that back a bit for it to feel realistic i was surprised to hear very briefly uh, a snippet of uh CCR's Bad Moon Rising playing at oh, one point yeah. in this movie. That very, I mean, in terms of a show that that does seem a little inexpensive, the um, <laughs> paying out for that for no real reason at all seems very very strange to me. Uh, I do want to talk before we get to Eric Roberts about the lead actress on this show, uh, the Witchblade herself, <laughs> Detective <laughs> Sarah Pez Pizzini, played by Yancey Butler. Um, I. I love the fact that this has a strong lead female character in it. Again, it does seem in some ways influenced by Buffy, though obviously this character is meant to be much older, uh, or at least older. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't say much necessarily. Um, yeah. But I will say there's very little charisma in this role. And I don't necessarily <laughs> blame her for it. It's just that – it, and maybe, again, we're coming at this late in the series – it's also very well known that uh, Yancey Butler had some substance abuse issues 
uh, during the making of this show, which actually maybe affected its uh, its ability to continue, which I'm sure made her incredibly popular on set. <laughs> what do you mean this gig that could have lasted for seven years has to stop after two? Be- but anyway, of, of course, we're yeah. not going to make light of the fact that she had substance abuse issues. She has uh, been working very regularly and frequently in recent years, and I'm glad that she's managed to get back on track. However, mm-hmm. I just going back to her performance here, there is that balance in a show like this between... Uh, strength of character and also sexual appeal and the fact that she wears all of these short uh. shirts in every single scene and I know that's a weird thing to focus on but you gotta understand folks if you watch this she literally has a bare midriff in every single scene in this movie in one variation uh, movie television show in one variation <laughs> or another and it it starts to get distracting because of how intentional it is. Hey, look, yeah. maybe she just likes the, the feeling of a cool breeze uh, <laughs> uh, against her Audi. But uh, but but that it it just seemed so intentional and and also an extension of the fact that there's a large TNA element to the comic book that the show is based on, and it made mm-hmm. me feel a little uncomfortable while watching it. What did you think of her performance in this, uh, Candice? Um, I think she's it's really weird like she has a really kind of laconic way of expressing herself she's really deadpan a lot of the time and it's it could be it could be seen as sort of a dry uh, approach to the character and she's trying to you know be withheld and strong but I just found it like weird and boring and then when she does have to do something a bit more engaging like she goes and she she shoots a, a, a basketball um, at one point when she's talking to some kids and they're all like, and they're all like, cool. Cause it's the coolest thing they've ever seen that one white lady is able to actually sink a basket. I like how she, she did dribble it once before she did oh, yeah. it, but she used both hands. Totally. Yeah. yeah. This is a woman who obviously is very oh, comfortable yeah. on the court. She knows her way around the court. Um, yeah, no, it's so, but the, it's so incongruous when she does, like she's trying to be charming in that moment to these kids. And she, I think she, I don't know, she does something at the end of their, their interaction like she ruffles their hair or something like that and I was just like I, I it just was so out of character um, and yeah the crop shirts are a complete distraction throughout and it's just it's funny because it's like it's you know this is early 2000s um, we're still in a little bit of the Britney Spears crop top phase sure. but we're basically out of it fashion wise by mm-hmm. that point so it's an odd choice from that standpoint but also just like it's you're a professional person in a professional setting. A homicide a detective, police, even. Yeah, a homicide detective, <laughs> which is not like first years. For, like, rookies do not become homicide detectives, right? <laughs> so she's been a cop for a while. She's worked her way up. Homicide is a pretty a pretty serious beat. Uh, and she's wearing these crop tops, and they just seem really girlish. Um, and it really undermines any effort of her character to be serious. or And, like, anything she does to be serious is so undermined by her wardrobe. And that not that people who bear their midriffs can't be serious. It's just from a visual standpoint in this thing, in this TV show, it's just really... It's really difficult to parse those, the messages that are being sent to you visually from her wardrobe. It's really weird. Yeah. Um, that being said, I mean, she's okay... Uh, um, there, oh, there is a really weird bit near the end where she and the uh, the young magic woman um, do an eye thing. Do you guys remember yes, that? Yes, of course, thing? absolutely. She's trying to direct her to where yeah. Eric Roberts is going to be coming. So, and sorry, I'm just going to spoil yeah. this before you get okay, into yeah. it. Okay, no, go for it. Go so, for it. she is using her eyes to tell this young woman with her guns to shoot at her so she can use her witch blade to deflect the bullet at Eric Roberts, who's to her immediate right. 
<laughs> it was it fucking was ludicrous. <laughs> it was not an effective way to communicate that information because I don't think she had at any point in the show previous to that explained to that girl that she well, what the what she could do with. The, I mean, I guess the girl knew the bracelet was magic. But did she know the extent of it? Like it that it could deflect bullets? I would want I to be very, remember. very clear on what exactly. message is being sent before it was interpreted as shoot right at me. <laughs> exactly. Like <laughs> you know, if my mom made those eyes at me across the room and you know, this woman's known me for forty years, I would not know what she was indicating. So like if somebody I was super close to did that to me, I'd be like why are you making weird eye faces at me? <laughs> I, my interpretation while it was happening was like, okay, she is signaling that Eric Roberts is to the right of yeah. her. So she's mm-hmm. going to like shoot through the wall or something to kill Eric Roberts through the wall. Not, not that she was going no. to shoot at her. <laughs> Liam, I got to get over to you. What do you think of Yancey Butler in this? Uh, and what did you think of that moment at the end of the uh, episode? Well, first of all, her perform. I, I, I haven't read the comic book, but I don't see how... I mean, no one in the real world could represent Witchblade in the comic. The the char- the woman who has the Witchblade in the comic. Book. <laughs> the woman, and that, just that, call her Witchblade. I, I was yeah. gonna say I was gonna call her Witchblade. I'm like, no, that's the name of the the thing. Her name is Sarah in the comic book. But um, y- you know, the, it's a total male fan. I mean, that whole series is just this like weird male fantasy thing. And then because it's a because it was a. I think it was a Dark Horse comic or oh, or yeah. possibly right. a – was it a Dark Horse? I think it may have been – either that or Top Cow. Actually, I think it was Top Cow because I think uh, Mark Silvestri might have owned Top Cow. Yeah, so because I'm a, I'm a nerd. I do know things. No, no, no. Because it's, a, <laughs> because it's a Top Cow comic, it not only was it ridiculous, but it could cross over with other ridiculous things. So there's a moment where early on the comic, she meets up with her friends, Vampira and Lara Croft, which is just oh, yeah. fucking ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> to then have that translate to a TV show and to pick an actress with so little character or charisma mm. or life. I mean, literally, mm. the star of the show is her midriff in in the show. Like, yes. she doesn't do anything. And even when she pops out the Witchblade, that's not particularly impressive in the show. They don't mm-hmm. do anything with it. So it, most of the show, it's like the main character is her midriff. It goes midriff, then weird, super smart, uh, like... What is he supposed to be like? Alternative rock guy? Like I don't sure. know. And then, <laughs> and then Asian friend is like the next. Mm-hmm. And then finally, she like shows up in a scene and says a couple words. But there's she brings nothing to it, and it's really weird to me. Yeah. And then it, that's exacerbated by how much she's in this episode and how right. how, oh, how yeah. much relies on her having to act, and that's not going well at all. I will say just to just to finish off that part of the conversation is the thing that I find difficult about her character on the show and again we're only talking about a single episode is that she doesn't seem to be having any fun and one Mm -hmm, of the things that distinguished a show like Buffy and again I watched that entire series enjoyed it very very much um, is that there are there's a lot of camaraderie there's a lot of fun at the center of it doesn't always have to be fun there's a lot of very serious moments there's a lot of times where the main character is miserable and questioning questioning herself but in the context of this there's just no humor. There's no lightness to the character. She seems to be depressed for no reason. Her power isn't hurting her in any way at all. In fact, it, it's so kind of ridiculous <laughs> that, that it's a little hard to understand why she's a superhero, if you could even call yeah. it that. Uh, the supernatural <laughs> elements that kind of surround her seem to be uh, disconnected from the fact that she has this power at all. She just kind of lives in a world that has supernatural things just sort of happening. I mean, the little girl... 
who a oh, little girl I sh- again she's like well, she's like in her late teens early 20s yeah. uh she the fact that she has managed to live for hundreds of years that's not really explained either but that seems more impressive in some ways than a a bracelet that can turn into a sword sometimes <laughs> uh, i mean look deflecting bullets is impressive i do have to say let's oh. talk about eric roberts the actor who also mm-hmm. features in this episode of Witchblade. Uh, starting with you, Liam, uh, what did you think of Eric Roberts' performance? Uh, and, uh, you know, he does get to chew a bit of scenery, especially in a monologue right near the end. I actually really enjoyed it because I was hankering for it. It's one of those yes. rare occasions where denying me Eric Roberts this long actually pays off. Because when he finally shows up, <laughs> he brings all this acting to the show. Like, the assassin young lady she can't act. She does. She's never even seen someone act before. Like she, yeah. there's, there's not a line she delivers that works in any way, shape or form. <laughs> uh, the cool hip guy, he doesn't do anything for me. Eric Roberts shows up and all of a sudden he's just like, is Lupo. And he's so excited about hate. And he's like going to bring real charisma to these lines that are awful. Just what the <laughs> fuck is he even talking about? I don't even know, but he cares about it. And it was like, it was kind of cool. Plus, there's a random part where he like leaps through the air, like not in a way a wolf would. So I don't really understand why he's leaping. <laughs> oh no, he's pouncing like a wolf, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but but he leaps, and it's like actually kind of cool. Except for the part where when she throws the bracelet, and I think, isn't the whole point yeah. that you can't get rid of the witch blade? Like yeah. why are you I would have thought right. It? It doesn't make this any sense. confusing. I thought it was yeah. like the Giver, right? It's like it's like it's attached to you. It's this alien technology, or in this case, historical technology. That's like it's bonded to you. But you're right; he just tosses it, tosses yeah. it in a very f- quick fashion, in a very ridiculous way. By the way, yeah. uh, over to you, Candace. What did you think of Eric yeah. Roberts in this? Uh, I completely agree. It was a real relief when he showed up, and all of a sudden, someone on screen was alive. Um, and and I mean, I. I enjoyed it, even though everything about his role was so ridiculous. Like the idea of this secret cabal that is kind of a New World Order thing, um, but also is composed of uh, of white supremacists. And I'm not saying that that's not a possibility, um, but it just seemed like they're really they're well dressed and well organized, but then also doing a lot of like childish infighting. Um, apparently, according to uh, the Asian friend. Uh, you know, no one's even allowed to look Lupo in the eye. But then, of course, all these guys are looking Lupo in the eye. It, it didn't seem to make any, there, w- there was no continuity there. Uh, and, um, you know, all the things he's saying are kind of ridiculous. And the idea that he, like, somehow was organizing a bunch of ruffians to go and beat up gay people and burn down Asian restaurants just seems like a really weak-ass plan to take over the world. Yeah, no kidding. Like, I'm like, this is... This seems like more of a distraction than anything. I mean, what are your goals? Do you have a, a vision and a mission for this organization? Um, but uh, uh, like, it didn't. It really didn't matter because uh, Eric Roberts was so charming as Lupo, and he like I just I, I enjoyed every moment he was on screen. And yes, I think it's it's one of those uh, situations where the the setting is a contrast to to his acting because everybody else was so flat, boring, and basically like almost unanimated in comparison to him. And he really, really like lustily went for, you know, that was, it was a really good villain role and he sunk his teeth into the part and really made a lot more of it than was there. So 
kudos to him for that. It was great. I do like how this character is set up as like a ghost. It's like no one has yeah. even seen the guy. He doesn't even come to his own rallies. He just uses a recording. No one yeah. could ever find him. And then at the end, it's just like, oh, here's his address. Let's just go over. And he's yeah. just there, right? They just and like yeah. Well, very, very he's strange. at the octogenarian club. I, I guess. Don't even understand? No, what was that? I'm like, that's the club for people in their 80s. Yeah. That- I don't. And, and like, I love the rally. They clearly couldn't afford a crowd, so <laughs> they just had a recording of a crowd and the recording of Lupo. Like, it was like a, they're like, "Oh, we better make it so she can't get in. Otherwise, we'll have to pay a lot of extras." So that's why they made that choice to have her suck at being a detective and not be able to get into this stupid rally. <laughs> like, it was really delightful, that moment. I was like, oh, I can see exactly the budgetary concern that made you make this choice. <laughs> as as uh, as much as I enjoyed Eric Roberts as Lupo, though, there is a feeling I got between his speech and then some of the dialogue between uh, Sarah and her fellow detectives that this mm-hmm. is like the message episode of Witchblade. Sure. That this yeah. is like the one he's re- – like whoever wrote this is writing thinking like there, – There's yeah. even like a check your privilege moment where yes. she's like she's like, she's like like uh, saying you – know, she's basically talking down to the Asian um, uh, partner or whatever the hell he is in this movie, the other detective. Mm-hmm. And he's basically like, you know, if you were – if you knew what this was like, you'd understand. But – she just doesn't. And she never learns, by the way. No, never, <laughs> yeah, no, never, she never. totally yeah, doesn't. Yeah, yeah. And, and I feel like they really could have made him the, like, they, he could have been the big bad for a season. Yeah, that doesn't it seem like he was set up for being something yeah. way more significant because he's like the leader of this secretive organization. And not only does he get introduced in the one episode, he gets killed in the very same one and never exactly. does return. I mean, I guess and it's, it's possible. it's supposed to be so difficult to kill that this woman's been hunting him for hundreds of years. I also feel like that could have been a whole arc. That could have been a season long arc. Yeah. Like she could have been the Dawn character i mean you know that you bring in sort of to revive interest if they needed to do that which it seems like maybe they did (laughs) um and that could have been a a season-long arc that would have really served them well and instead they make it a one episode arc where do you go where's your big bad after that or she has you know she has a guy though both the comic and the show are always focused on this one dude and Uh. so i think that 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 this was probably just some like off again because it's so off and nothing in the episode ties to the main arc of the show Mm -hmm. that's partly what made it feel like the message episode which like kind of offended me a little bit like i was like don't think you've accomplished something because the one asian guy is like yeah well you've never gotten in trouble for being white or heterosexual huh (laughs) and i'm like oh god damn it really it was a little uh, like a little ham-fisted in its approach to these. It was, I mean, it's nice to see, especially considering this is like 15 years ago. Uh, this wasn't the kind of thing I think you would see on a mainstream television show in in such an open way. But also, you know, would have been nice to see it a little more deftly handled. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, thank goodness it wasn't mythology heavy because we wouldn't have known what yeah. the fuck was going on. No kidding. With two episodes <laughs> left in the entire series. Folks, we need to wrap this up. Is Eric Roberts the fucking man in this episode of Witchblade? I'm going to say, yeah, he is. He actually makes the episode in a lot of ways. Certainly makes the final 15 minutes or so a lot more interesting than what comes before. Over to you, Liam. Eric Roberts, fucking man or no? Yeah, definitely, without a doubt. Definitely, without a doubt. I'd like to hear that. Candace, how about yourself? Uh, Once again, absolutely, he is the fucking man in this show. It's a relief to see him, and uh, his death is even enjoyable as well. Not as enjoyable as a pirouette, but he is the fucking man in this this episode. Maybe Lupo can return in the new Witchblade television series coming, hopefully soon, to the NBC television station. But with that, we never have to watch Witchblade ever 
ever again. <laughs> how, how what a lovely thought that is to finish off this episode of Eric Roberts is the fucking man. We're going to take our final break. We're going to come back, say our goodbyes, do our plugs, and say goodnight. I've been working on a cocktail called Grounds for Divorce And that's it, folks. Eric Roberts is the fucking man, episode number 44. I want to thank our guest, Candace Shaw, who very, very nicely gave up her Friday evening, a good chunk of it, a very big chunk of it, just to spend time talking about Eric Roberts. It was a delight, Candace. I'm glad that we finally were able to connect like this. You're a person I've known, obviously, for a very long time. But uh, this might be the longest sustained conversation we've ever had. So thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. It's been so much fun to be here. I really enjoy it. I I. I appreciate you being so nice and being so conscientious in regards to your Eric Roberts talk. Candace, what are you up to that people should be checking out and where can they find it? Um, mostly right now these days I am working on Canadian women working in music. If you are a woman identified person in the music industry in Canada, you should check us out. We are at cndnwim.ca uh, and uh, we have various other presences online as well. Um, one of the things we've just recently released is a festival report card where we judge festivals in Ontario based on how many women they have on their stages. <laughs> Sounds very interesting. Sounds very useful as well. Mm -hmm. Where can people find outside of, of that project, uh, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, the best place to find me is always on Twitter. It's Candace Shaw, and uh, it's C-A-N-D-A-C-E-S-H-A-W. That's nice. three A's in Candace Shaw. Yep. Pretty good. Now, Candace, mm. will you return at some point to the Eric Roberts podcast? Oh, my God. Totally. <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> she says that on recording, but we'll see if off air. <laughs> she is just such, has such enthusiasm for it. <laughs> Liam O'Donnell, new father... New year. What's going on, Liam? Um, not a whole lot. All right. Well, moving on. <laughs> um, <laughs> Liam, Liam, where can people find you on the great world wide web that we love so much? Well, I would love if they would go to uh, cinepunx.com mm -hmm. and uh, check out all the stuff going on over there. And if they want to read my tweets, which God knows why they would, uh, that's at Liam Rules, R-U-L-Z. They, well, your tweets sometimes mention me, so that can probably give people a reason to check them out. Only the worst ones. <laughs> That's right. Just like uh, some that I may have been reading while you've been recording this episode. Some very not nice tweets, I would say. <laughs> no, those, you son of a bitch. Those are, just, those are just Instagram posts I tied to Twitter, so I'm one of those assholes. <laughs> Touche, Liam O'Donnell. Yes, please check out Cinepunks.com. Lots of good writing over there. You can find me on Twitter as well, at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. 
You can also find the show Eric Roberts is the fucking man on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M. If you want to check out more about Eric Roberts is the fucking man, you can go over to ericrobertsistheman.com. Find all of our older episodes. Subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Leave us a review if you get an opportunity. Why don't you head over to Facebook, do a search for Eric Roberts is the man as well. You can always join our Facebook group, make suggestions for future projects to cover, or just find out what the latest news is. And of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that you should follow Eric Roberts on Twitter as well. He is at, uh, at Eric Roberts, all one word. Check that out right this very second. And hey, while you're at it, check out my writing over at dorkshelf.com or the Grindhouse Network. Just started writing for them very recently. But with that all said, it's time to go to bed, everybody. You've been listening to us talk about Eric Roberts for oh so very long. I think it's time to take a break, but not for too long. In two weeks <laughs> in two weeks from now, we will return with another jam-packed episode of Eric Roberts' goodness. We will talk to you all then. Say goodnight, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. Ding, ding. Good night. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can.